Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. An immigrant in the country illegally, accused of killing a Florida police officer, making his first appearance in court on Monday. The suspect allegedly shot 29-year-old Fort Myers police officer, Adam Jobbers Miller, in the head, and he later died of his injuries. Wisner Desmarais has an extensive criminal history and was reportedly released just days before the attack under the supervision of the county's pre-trial services program. So is our system completely broken? Let's bring in Charlotte County bail bondsman and the president of the Florida Bail Agents Association, Matt Jones. Matt, thanks for being here this morning. So uh, we'll put a little bit of information about Des uh, Wisner Desmarit here. He's a 29-year-old native of Haitia. He's got a history of mental health issues. He was held by ICE twice, criminal history of burglary, grand theft, weapons charges, and resisting arrest. Yet he overstayed his visa, so was in the country illegally, yet released. How do things like this happen? In this case, tragically led to the death of a police officer. Oh, wow. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Uh, StaceyOnTheRight.com is where you can subscribe. Thank you for being here today. Looking forward to Monday when we lift up the program and we'll be on Urban Family Talk as always. But the first hour of the show will also be airing on 180 stations that are a part of the American Family Radio Network. And we're excited about that. Starts on Monday at 2 p.m. Same bat channel, same bat station. All you have to do is keep doing what you've been doing and you'll get to hear the show. So if you're live streaming it, if you're on YouTube, Facebook, any of that stuff, welcome. You'll still be welcome then too. All right. So uh, we are just listening to Fox News describing this illegal immigrant, Wismer Desmaret. He's a Haitian illegal who murdered a police officer, shot him in the head. Uh, and I just, this just never stops. Okay. So if you're the kind of person who thinks, well, Hey, you know, I mean, that's bad, but you know, it's not like it's happening all the time. Yeah. Kind of, it is happening all the time. The reason you don't think it's happening all the time is because all you ever hear on the news is how horrible the president is or how horrible his supporters are or how every woman in America needs an abortion or three. What is really going on is we have a lot of crime that's connected to illegal immigration and it doesn't mean all Mexican people are bad or that all Mexicans are illegal immigrants. That's not what we're saying here. We're saying that people who are alive are dead now because we have people in this country illegally. That's what we're saying. So let's listen to a, a little description of, of how this person came to be available in our country to do this crime. It's number four. Uh, Wisner Desmarais case, you know, he came here as a visitor uh, the family applied for asylum, the information I have. It was denied. He, they were put in removal proceedings. He was ordered deported. Uh, but then, out of the generosity of this country after the earthquake in Haiti, they were granted uh, temporary protected status. Um, and, you know, to show his gratitude, he killed one of our heroes in blue. Now, um, his status had ended, so he should have been removed from the country. Yeah, so he should have been removed, but he wasn't. Had he been removed, then that police officer would still be alive because he was responding to a call. Now, am I saying that nothing bad can ever happen to someone? Of course not. But if you honestly want to see crime lowered in this country, then you know that we have enough people here who, for whatever reason, are unfortunately criminally minded we don't need to add to that by having people in the country who are here illegally who don't feel any kind of responsibility for following our laws. 
they break the first law by entering illegally. And then after that, they have no problem with driving drunk. And a lot of the things that we described yesterday. And yes, for those who were upset that I tweeted this out, you, you should stay tuned. Because if you are upset by that, you've only just begun to be upset with me. 76,000 dangerous drug offenses, 48,000 assaults, 11,000 weapons offenses, 5,000 sexual assault offenses, 2,000 kidnappings, and 1,800 homicides in 2017's fiscal year. That's what we're talking about here. Those didn't have to happen. So am I saying that there would have been no rapes or assaults or kidnappings or homicides? No, I'm saying there would have been 127,000 fewer of them. That's what I'm saying. That's what everyone who wants better immigration policy is saying that, you know, so getting mad about it doesn't change the lives of the people who've been negatively impacted. And we have to be better than that as Americans. So speaking of immigration, there's this story out by Gustavo Arellano. And this is really, I I found it to be a fascinating piece. It was a joy to read because it's about people who they've come to America And they've really taken to the things that we kind of take for granted here, our American spirit, our love of sports and entertainment, and our ability to kind of do everything to the nth degree. That is totally an American thing because other countries, their ethos is much more laid back. You know, they talked about the, you can, you can talk about the joie de vivre of, of the French and they have a certain je ne sais quoi. They do. They absolutely do. I've been to France four times. They're amazing, but they're not Americans. There's something unique about being an American. And so when you see people who immigrate into this country and they take on being an American and they take it seriously, it's not just exciting, it's, it's comforting and it's good because you, you can use them as an example to kind of say, look, this is how it's done. Do it this way. Assimilate like this. So you've got Latinos in Southern California who kind of roll their eyes when a newspaper there locally called Downey Mexican Beverly Hills. It's a running gag of sorts, a kind of joke in Southern California among middle-class Latinos. They use that story as proof that the LA Times will never, ever get them. SoCal, which is their abbreviation for Southern California, SoCal Latinos know that their aspirational town isn't what some call Downer Downey. It's Whittier. The name of the town is Whittier, California. The city has a higher median income than Downey by a pretty decent little piece, 66891 compared to 61000 And they use the information. That data is pulled from Mapping LA. It's a project. Uh, it makes the city the second most pro- prosperous city in Southern California where Latinos are a majority of the population. So this is something that can be tracked because they have more than one of these fantastically um, – wealthy communities where Latinos are the majority of the population. That's positive, by the way. And there's, you know, I'll go ahead and admit that a part of the reason why I'm doing this story is because I'm so tired of people acting as if I have something against Mexicans or Latinos. I don't. I don't. And we have some people of that background that we're very close to who understand where I'm coming from on this. So this isn't about that. It's not about hatred. It's about wanting people to follow the law the way we have to. So the first most populous, so Latin, pretty much all Latin city that is prosperous is West Covina. So the last stop of the road of success for people who are of Latin extraction who want to live in one of these Tony wealthy enclaves 
is Whittier Boulevard, which has seen generations of upwardly mobile Mexican-Americans from East Los Angeles move first to Montebello, then Pico Rivera, and finally Whittier. And he says it's foolish for them to go to uh, Orange County, but sometimes they do as well. They have a booming downtown, which is called Uptown because it's on the hilly region of Whittier. And Whittier is a case study in how Latinos not only thrive in this country, but also assimilate. Now, the author of this piece actually calls out President Trump and says, contrary to the Trumpian conventional wisdom, assimilate. I disagree with that. The idea that people who are strong on immigration don't believe that Mexicans or people of Latin Latin extraction can assimilate is another false statement. It's it's something that's used to tar and feather people who just want to see immigration laws passed. Nobody said that Mexican people or Haitian people or Nigerian people or Syrian people couldn't assimilate. We're talking about the ones who have not assimilated. And and so it, it takes adults to have this conversation because Kids will focus on one thing and drill down on that and just hang on to that and kind of whine and complain about that one thing. And they, 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 that's their right, their kids. But if you're a grown adult, why in the world would you engage in a conversation where you only plan to talk about one part? Everything else just can't enter in. So he says few things are more American than pulling up the ladder behind you uh, and that you can see evidence of that pathology in the hubbub over taco trucks because the Whittier City Council is considering an ordinance that would choke taco trucks out of uptown. They claim that the food trucks take customers away from the brick-and-mortar restaurants and they are a public nuisance that should be regulated. My point is that the fact that they're even having this argument is utterly American because we have the same thing going on here in, in uh, St. Louis in the Central West End. There's this boom. I mean, it's like an explosion of these adorable trucks. Some of them are in the shape of, you know, the bigger version of the, um, the UPS truck. So not the bigger version, but the more squared off version of the UPS truck or the blown up version of the uh, U.S. mail truck. Some of the trucks look like that. All of them have running water and, you know, they have a, a big grill inside where they cook the stuff and all of them are painted on the outside and decorated and marketed to whatever they specifically sell. Some of them are elevated and they're huge. You walk up and it's like you're walking up to a building on wheels. Others are much more compact and sit low to the ground. Even I've seen one that was previously a school bus that has been painted and fixed up and had a big section cut out of the middle where you can walk up and purchase the items. This is an amazing innovation that is brought on by a lot of millennials who don't want to have to go through the regulatory burden of opening up a stand that's um, like on the ground, basically in a building. You know, I was searching for a way to, they don't want to open up a traditional restaurant, but they're really excited about the idea of traveling around and setting up their, their truck in different areas. A lot of times outside of huge corporate buildings. I know, I know of a couple of Fortune 500 companies here in St. Louis that regularly a part of their parking lot is taken over by these food trucks for about three hours a day during the lunch rush. And then they go off they go. And it's not the same ones. Like they'll do that, that parking lot for about a week and then they'll, off they go. They'll move to the next area. So the fact that this town, which is largely Latino, they're fighting over whether or not they're going to have food trucks be allowed or not. That's American. That's just more proof that they're totally assimilated because they're not 
burning the taco trucks down or putting out hits on the taco truck proprietors. They're they're going to their city council and arguing about it using their civic uh, processes. That's American. So I brought this story to you guys today. I'm sharing this with you, the listener, today. Because I'm tired of people acting as if we don't want exactly what I'm describing here to happen all over this country. I'm not interested in not having any immigration anymore. I'm interested in controlling the immigration that we do permit, getting the best people in so that they can assimilate and achieve the same things that these people in uh, Las Covinas and Whittier have achieved, which is these are these are Americans now. And I, I think the link is up on my Twitter feed, but I can't get into my Twitter right now. Like, it's so weird. Um, I'm showing the picture on the live stream. The picture that they use as the cover for the story is of two Latina women and they're decked out in their football gear and they look so cute. Like they're so totally ready for football. What is wrong with that? Why are liberals so bent on making sure that people come here but don't assimilate? What is wrong with us having Whittiers all over America? What is wrong with us having uh, neighborhoods that are whatever the immigrants are, that basically they're just hardcore Americans and they're killing it. They're earning money. They're putting their kids in college. They're doing the American dream the way all of us hope to do the American dream, practicing their faith, enjoying America. What is wrong with that picture? Why can't we get Democrats to agree with us on that picture? Why does it have to be that if you're for strong immigration, for for strong border controls, for a wall, for safety, for people following the law, that you're also against people creating towns like Whittier and Las Covinas? It's not mutually exclusive. And I'm here to tell you that it's not mutually exclusive. And I'm here to tell you that the majority of the people that you see who have done activism around this, people who have protested, people who are writing letters, people who are supporting immigration hawks to go into Congress and their local city councils and et cetera. They're all about Whittier and Las Covinas, but they're also about ending the crime spree. You can actually believe in both of those things. I applaud these people for living the American dream and doing it the most fantastic way that they can. That's what we want for everyone here. When we get back, we're going to have Kathleen McKinley. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love her. Stay there. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I'm reading through the Old Testament now, and I'm coming to places that are named that I see on our Israel tour every March. It's really fascinating to think that Jericho existed way back in the Old Testament thousands of years ago, and I can visit there today. The same can be said for Jerusalem. The Bible literally comes to life when you visit Israel, the Holy Land. Now, we're going in March. My wife, Allison, and I, we lead these tours every March. So if you would like to go with us, you need to go to the website and check it out. It's twholyland.com, TWH. Holyland.com. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, just call us at 800 Families, option 5. That's 800 F A M I L I E S, 
option five, and we'll send you a brochure. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Jonah Goldberg reminded his readers of a famous essay by Thomas Wolfe entitled The Great Relearning. It was an essay about the summer of love in 1968 in San Francisco. It had great significance to me since I grew up in the San Francisco area during that time, but it also has significance to all of us concerning our culture. He said that the doctors at the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic were treating diseases no living doctor had ever encountered before, diseases that disappeared so long ago that they never even picked up Latin names. He concluded that this happened because the hippies, as they were known, sought nothing less than to sweep aside all codes and restraints of the past and start from zero. They rejected everything from modern society, including basic hygiene. They had lots of sex with each other and shared everything from bed sheets to toothbrushes to food utensils. They were the beneficiaries of centuries of scientific investigation and wise application of sound medical and scientific knowledge. But they decided to tear down some fences and paid a heavy price. Supposedly, G.K. Chesterton warned, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. Unfortunately, we had a counterculture in the 1960s that was willing to tear down fences of civilization without giving much thought to why those moral, medical, and sexual guidelines were created in the first place. Does that sound like our world today? Moral anarchy reigns. Our society mimics Judges 17.6, where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Sexual morality is now based on doing what each person feels is right for them, and marriage has been redefined by divorce and same-sex marriage. All of this suggests that maybe it's time for another great relearning. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us today. It is fantastic to be with you. Uh, I want to make a little correction. When we were speaking with Eric Trump uh, in hour one, I said the 2037 initiative. It's actually the 2034. The year 2034 is the year that the Chinese expect to overtake America's economy, and they're working towards that. That is a goal of theirs. They want to do it as a communist state because it would prove that capitalism can be overtaken by communism, and it would be in the ultimate clash in worldviews. Uh, so I, I have the correct information, but I, I named the wrong year when I was on the interview with him, and so I wanted to make sure and give you that correction. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Kathleen McKinley, who's a conservative commentator. She's frequently on television. She makes news. She was recently, um, I guess, booted off of Twitter, I guess, for a little bit or suspended or something for nothing, basically for being awesome. And now she's been reinstated. And so it's my pleasure to welcome Kathleen McKinley to the show. Hey, Kathleen. Hi, Stacey. It's nice to talk to you again. It is. I haven't seen you in ages, but I keep up with you on Instagram, the grandkids, the new plays, everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, less political on Instagram for sure. Oh, I know. I, I love it. That's, it. that's why it's my favorite now, because Facebook is like people are fighting about politics. Twitter is like the wow, right. wow, west. But if you go on Instagram you, and you pick correctly, if you pick the, the right people to follow, you can see people's real lives and kind of interact with them on that stuff. And the grandkids are just growing like weeds. You, you are just like, you're, you're doing life right down there in Texas. I, I am love, love in <laughs> Texas. All right. So let's talk about the Twitter banning um, because of the trans troops 
<sighs> honor killings. Like, what is going on? <laughs> no, it was it was very bizarre because um, just the day before, I had retweeted, you know, Chad Felix. I don't know if you follow him or not, but he's a, a gay conservative, and they had booted him off. And you know, he had just written a, uh, a thread about, you know, this this is about different voices. You know, this is where we hear different things. You know, nothing I said was nothing he said was hateful or threatening or anything like that. He just expresses a very, you know, different view than most of uh, the gay community uh, expresses. So um, I, I retweeted him, and you know, I remember thinking then, you know, well. You know, that, that'll never happen to me because I, I'm very nice, very civil. I've always made that a key thing of anything that I write and do. And so when it said, you have been booted off for hateful conduct, I was like, what in the world? And I was thinking, what in the world did I tweet? You know, I was thinking the day before, what did I tweet? And uh, I'd never been through the process, so they show you the tweets that you are, they're offensive, and one was from a year ago, one was from a month ago. Um, uh, the year ago one was uh, about the most when I was arguing with a CBS producer of The Big Bang Theory who was trying, who was also who was arguing with a friend of mine from Africa, uh, saying that honor killing w- wasn't really a thing. And so I said, oh, come on, you know, don't pretend that there aren't extreme Muslim views that that do honor killings. That was the tweet. And I used the word extreme, you know, and later on he admitted that he had done that and apologized and said, yes, I'm against honor killings. So, you know, but even without that context, there was nothing threatening. They say that, uh, you know, to get, to get booted off of Twitter for this, you, you, it says not to threaten, harass, or, um, the other one, threaten, harass, or, you know, um, say hateful things to someone, mm. which, of course, that was not done in any shape, form, or fashion, no matter how you look at it. And the one about the transgender truth was just saying that, you know, I believe that uh, it's not a good idea for uh, transgender to be in the military because it is a mental disorder, because I believe it's a mental disorder, and it is that um, <laughs> we shouldn't have to pay for surgery for that. And yeah. the the part about it being a mental disorder, I'm, I'm assuming, is why I got put <laughs> it off. But if you go and look up at psychiatry.org, it's still listed under the manual uh, of diagnostics of mental disorders, gender it dysphoria. Is. It, so it I is. I that up too when I was uh, talking about it. So you know, it's but even without context. You know, none of those things are threatening anyone or harassing anyone. So, um, and I really didn't understand why they had, they picked those particular two tweets out of, I've been tweeting since 2009, you know, mm. and uh, I had to delete the tweets, and then I had to give them really? a phone number. Oh, wow. And had, I, didn't, had, I, I can't believe you had to, to delete that, them. That was the only way I could get back on, and, um, and that was it. And with all the attention that it got, and it, and I would say there was probably like four or five write-ups about it, including the Daily Call, Caller, and then I wrote a piece myself on the Federalist. Um, you know, none of that, uh, you know, I never got any feedback from Twitter. They, I tried to dispute it, but it kept bringing me back to the, um, you know, the page that tells me I'm, I'm not, you know, I was, I was booted for 
uh, eight hours or 11 hours it ended up being. So I just haven't heard anything from him, and uh, no one seems to be bothered by the fact that, you know, this very, you know, public forum of different and diverse voices, which I understand when you you don't want someone vile and hateful saying threatening things to someone. I I, I totally agree with that, and I understand when they would boot someone out for that, but but to take people's just um, opinion that is not of liberal thought. That to me is pretty pretty chilling. Well, I can I just can we just have a little quick comparison, Kathleen? So the, what you yeah. described to me sound like simply a dif- difference of opinion, right? So this right. difference of opinion between you and this this guy on Twitter, and one is a retweet. So you weren't even the originator of the idea. Now, let's compare that to some of the things that have been said about the Trump's children, specifically the younger one. Um, we, we won't even get into things that are said about Ivanka or the others because they're adults and it's still not right, but they are adults. But the things that were said about um, the youngest Trump son, about him yeah. being put in a cage with pedophiles, about him, someone should kidnap him, someone should rip him from his mother's arms, etc. Vile, repugnant tweets. And the people who sent them out were not only not suspended, there was absolutely zero interaction with the Twitter police and their account. None whatsoever. What in the world is the reason why Congress has not taken away their neutral public platform designation so they can be uh, treated like any other business, regulated, sued, et cetera, et cetera? Right. And the the, the, uh, newsbusters and the Media Research Center also put up a, a piece on it about me where they showed three tweets where people had called me the C word and um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was twice the C word and something else. I can't uh, be, it was a racist B I think. <laughs> and of course those tweets were still up, you know, and they were, they were from a, a little while ago, but it just shows you that I, I, I really feel like it was part of an algorithm thing. I've, I think it was probably an algorithm that put in Muslim killings, and transgender, those words, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of words. And I think they just did it, you know, that way across the board. I mean, that's just my speculation on it because it really didn't make sense other, any other way. But, um, you know, just knowing that those algorithms are out there that will beat someone from a public forum for no reason, you know, other than a w- one word being in there, you know, that they don't agree with or, you know, think that you might not agree with them. But, you know, I'm not sure about that because I wonder if it is an algorithm, then why is it so heavily toward uh, conservatives? Because those words, I'm sure, show up in liberal tweets, just, you know, maybe in more of agreeable fashion to, to, uh, you know, Jack that owns Twitter. So I don't know. But, you know, I hope that it doesn't come to a point where it's already to a point where so many great people have left Twitter, but I just refuse to do it because I just like, I'm not going to leave this, this forum that just provided so many of us uh, an opportunity to speak and to, and to get our voices out there in such a, such a broad way. I just, I just, I just don't want the haters to win. I don't want to leave. Well, I feel the same way. I have been tempted to as well. Just just shut it down. And usually it's because you, you mentioned being called names and, and kind of getting hate. I remember a couple of times um, going on television and then, you know, I used to have, you know, you can have the special notification on your phone. Basically, it lights up. It, it basically turns on your flashlight a couple of times to alert you 
that you have interactions. And that was back when I had my Twitter notifications were on. I had the Twitter app. Same thing with Facebook. I would be on television and my phone would be in my purse on the table next to me. You know the setup. And the phone would just start, you know, and lighting up. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) what's that? I go on there and it's maybe for every one tweet where someone's like, right on, I just saw you on TV. There's all these tweets about my husband and the kids and my looks and me being an idiot and Uncle Tom and some kind of special raccoon who dances for white people and also that I'm a dog who lays down on its stomach for white people and all this stuff. And I, I remember thinking one night my phone was, I actually, it went off while we were there. And then I started going onto my accounts and they were on my Instagram account commenting. They were on every, on YouTube, everywhere. They were just basically descending on every online social media account and attacking me. It was still going on almost a half an hour later after I was on the air, I was back at home and my husband was like, I, I don't understand why you still stay on those because it seems like it's nothing but negativity. And in that moment, I thought, why am I still on Twitter? I've been so limited with my growth and everything that I haven't been able to get nearly the traction because I, I, I think I'm shadow banned. I have no way to prove it, but I do because I used to have so much higher metrics with interaction. And then I went on CNN one time, and after that, my interactions have been ever decreasing. I, yeah, I, 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 I just, think, I think you're right. You probably are. But I, I stay on there because I have the same kind of spirit that you have, where I'm kind of like, you're not forcing me off. Like I'm not going to leave <laughs> just because you're not playing fair. I'm going to hang in there, and I'm going to keep working at it. And at some point, you're because you know evil has to be vanquished. You will be vanquished. I just have to to hang in there and not give up. And so I'm not off of there. I don't do nearly as much on there as I used to, but I definitely am still there and I'm still tweeting and, and live streaming to there, doing whatever I can. And I just find it really interesting that liberals, because they started, we have to give credit where credit is due. Silicon Valley's, Valley's packed to the gills with liberals. Jack Dorsey, who created Twitter, he's a liberal. It's his platform, but he says it's for everyone. But they don't think they can win if they let us play fairly with them. So they feel like they have to do these underhanded things, which is kind of a compliment to us. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like it's a, it. I'm sure when you first got into social media and into the politics, you felt this way too. That where um, I never had a problem with anyone expressing liberal views, libertarian views, the far left views. I, I I don't care. I just want a chance to debate. You know, let's just get it out there. Let's let's see mm-hmm. what each other has to say and and let everyone else decide. But you know that is just not what we're seeing on the left right now. You know, it's not about let's see, let's let's have a debate and see and let everyone decide for themselves. It's about I want your voice shut down. I I don't like what you say and I don't want it. And it's like what we've seen across college campuses with Ben Shapiro and and, mm-hmm. and many others. It's 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 absolutely mind boggling that the same people you know, who are supposed to be so liberal and tolerant are are completely in an intolerant of another's view. Um, it is. I just find it, it it's, well, it's just, it, it's one thing when they themselves are that way, but when someone like Jack, who has so much power mm-hmm. over a social media, you know, huge social media platform, you know, when he starts shutting down voices, not because they're vile, but because he disagrees with them, well, that's just, it's, it's just so wrong. I don't, and I'm not sure how we fight it. I really it's don't. Censorship. It's because it's not, it's not even that he's shutting down voices because you're wrong because you weren't wrong. There are honor killings in this country. So it's not about 
incorrectness. It's really about censorship. It's about not wanting other people who follow you, who may not know that honor killings occur in America, to see your retweet or uh, the, the discussion about gender dysphoria. When, when we talk about gender dysphoria and factual terms, not many people can argue with it. Like if, if instead of saying transgender this, transgender that, if you just talk about gender dysphoria and what it is clinically, what it is, what the symptoms are, what happens to people who aren't treated properly to help them get over it, to work their way through it. People like, cause I I've actually spent time talking about it where instead of saying transgender, I just say, if you have a wrong idea of what body you're in and people don't, there's no reaction. They just listen. And then you go a little further and you talk about the symptoms and then what usually happens. And then the side effects of everyone around that person basically enabling the behavior by saying it's okay for you to dress like a man if you're a woman or or vice versa. It's okay if you have the hormone treatments. The people who have the hormone treatments actually have higher incidences of other side effects like cancers and things like that, but that's not being reported. And the worst of it is that transgenders who have the surgery are much more likely, like 45% more likely to commit suicide. So when you talk about it like that, but don't use the term transgender, most people will say, well, why don't we just help those people by getting them therapy? And then you say, because they're transgendered and that is a part of the LGBT movement. And then they, they look at you like, Oh, you tricked me. And it's not a trick. You were just discussing it cogently. (laughs) So when you say, and you're right, you're so right. When I I first got on Twitter, you remember it was me and Demetrius. We had our little podcast. He said, she said, and we would tweet out about the show because it was once a week. And then we would also get into these little debates on Twitter. And sometimes it would be he and I debating other people. Other times we'd be on our own. You just kind of fall into a discussion with a group of people and then you start tweeting. And I loved it because Twitter enabled me to just tweet a link or just tweet the factual statistic. And it created a back and forth where I would learn things and other people would learn things. Jack Dorsey is actually shutting that down by like what he did to you and what he's doing to so many other people, which is very dishonorable. Um, That's the music. You know what? It has been so great to catch up with you. We got to speak again soon. Um, yes, I'm glad you you're back. <laughs> I'm glad you're back on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> we're going to see each other online. And thank you for coming on today, Kathleen. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Stacey. All right. So that's Kathleen McKinley, conservative commentator. She also does television and radio and so many cool things. And it was great to catch up with her. We'll be back with more right after these messages. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. How often do we minister only to those who are like-minded? When I was coaching, sometimes I'd have a coach or a player who may not have had a perfect past, and people would ask me if I really wanted them on the staff or the roster, or even if I wanted to be associated with them at all. Jesus wants us actively ministering to people who need to be ministered to, who need to know the source of that difference in our lives and who need Jesus' healing words and His grace. How else will we show the world that we're different and we can impact those who may need it? Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com.
Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. My name's Tim, I'm 17. All the male role models in my life did drugs, so it's no wonder I ended up just like them. I was down to 90 pounds when I came to Teen Challenge, but now I'm healthy and drug-free. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Bullet Points. I'm Evan Brown. Cody Wilson's website, Defense Distributed, won't be allowing the download of digital files that allow the 3D printing of parts to assemble firearms now that a number of state attorneys general convinced a federal judge to issue a restraining order. They all claim that their state law trumps our First Amendment rights. This is not a gun case. This is a free speech case. Josh Blackman is Wilson's lawyer. The website was first demanded closed by the Obama administration, thinking the site could be considered to be exporting firearms, which is illegal in many cases. Building one's own firearm isn't illegal. Wilson's plans allow someone to use a 3D printer to make the parts that must be assembled, but Wilson insists he's only providing people with information. Wilson and his lawyer vow to fight this. And those are your bullet points. I'm Evan Brown, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Okay, then why don't you send it to me now, and I will put it on the air in the back half of the show. I mean it. I'm dead serious. You are the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Yeah. It is you are elected by voters to make these judgments. Bureaucrats elected by nobody are telling us, threatening us, basically, that it hurts national security. You're the one with the power. Why don't you send it to me? We will put it on the air and let the public well, decide. Is there a penalty for that? Well, just remember, I, I, yeah, I'm not the one with the power. Now, hypothetically, could I go to the House floor or could I go out in my official duties and tell the American public what's in the rest of that FISA? I, I could. However, I mean, you already see, remember, most of the media and the left is against us and against it. They don't want the rest of this out. They, they want to keep this hidden. Can you imagine the field day they would have against me or other, if any other Republicans talked about cares? what is now I mean, classified look, information? So you have journalists well, arguing on behalf well, the, the fact of, the matter of is, holding information back. I mean, that's insane. If you live in a world where journalists you, are saying the public should know less, they have been discredited by definition. We don't have to listen to them. They are not journalists. They're something less. They're flax. So is there a penalty for doing that? Because you, this you seems understand, like a really important you, you question. You understand, Chucker. Yes, yes, that's the, that's the problem. You understand this. There's a penalty, right? So, so we can't create a situation. But what can happen right now? How do we get this done? Is the president just needs to step in and declassify this. He has said he doesn't want to get involved. But quite frankly, huh. that, he needs to get involved in this. It doesn't involve him. If he would just declassify it, then we as Congress would have no problem coming on your show and talking about this declassified information. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. That silence you hear is I'm just flabbergasted. Devin Nunez just basically admitted on the Tucker Carlson show that because he would get a massive amount of pushback, 
he won't declassify or leak out or share the information that he has that basically puts this whole thing to bed. He's seen it with his own eyes. He's going on television and talking about it, but we can't see it because we need it to be declassified. And he's punting that over to President Trump, which I would love to see President Trump declassify it. But would that not then be also construed to be the president obstructing justice? Because right now, almost anything can be the president obstructing justice. Let's just go down a list of things that Democrats are currently or could possibly think is the president obstructing justice. Him firing an employee. Uh, Him tweeting about how this whole thing is a witch hunt. The president tweeting about how his attorney general should take control of the situation and end the witch hunt. The president waking up in the morning and choosing not to have the breakfast of champions, which is some kind of high fiber cereal, and instead choosing to drink maybe a diet Pepsi. The president having Russian dressing on a salad. President Trump watching his wife show off a new outfit that's by a Russian designer. Almost anything he does, if he gets out of bed and puts on house shoes, if he gets out of bed and doesn't put on house shoes, I don't know how we know all that stuff, but be under the understanding that it's totally, that's collusion, it's obstruction, it's something illegal, and he's got to go down. That's the ridiculousness that we're living under right now. And Devin Nunez has seen the evidence that this is just garbage, like garbage on a stick, really, and we're not going to get to see it. We're not going to get to know. Because the president's hands are tied and apparently Devin Nunez, he can't find his way into one of those rooms where the procedural books are all located. He can't get any of his numerous staffers to sit down and figure out a way that they could get the information before the American people. And if the shoe were on the other foot and this was a bunch of Democrats, they would figure out a way to make that information known. Look at the machinations that James Comey went through to get a special uh, prosecutor appointed. He broke the law. We'll, we'll have to wait and see if he gets prosecuted for that. So now I want to I want to get to some um, regular type news. So before we we're gonna hear a little couple of little sound bites about the jobs report, which really supports um, our our first two interviews. Um, obviously, Eric Trump so grateful that he came on the show today, and he was really absolutely superb talking about the climate for business in this country right now. And he did kind of rebut our first guest's assertion that wages aren't up. He talked about how wages are up and, you know, it might not be as significant as she wanted to see as an analyst, but they are uh, trending up a bit. So we hope to see more of that. And I thought he was very measured in his responses. It was a great interview. Um, so at first I want to talk, well, let's, let's actually listen to number seven. We'll listen to ADP jobs report showing the 219,000 new jobs created last month, which was fantastic. Another strong report or expectations for a strong report from the government, from the private payroll company ADP. Let's take a look at some of the numbers here. 185 were the expectations. So kind of within the realm of where economists might end up uh, edging up, or the market at least, edging up their expectations for the Friday number. June payroll for ADP was revised up to 181,000. Goods, 42,000 for July, 177. For services, that's about a normal split. It shows good uh, employment numbers in the goods uh, industry. And there's the non-farm payroll estimate for the government's number for Friday, 190,000. So again, ADP on the high side. Let's take a look. Small business, 52,000. Medium, 119. And large, 48,000. Pretty good distribution, especially in that medium uh, size businesses. 
So that's good news. And um, I'm not going to be a naysayer when it comes to the jobs report. And so the point that we've previously had numbers like this, that's great. But I think it's all of it together. The jobs report, the GDP numbers, the unemployment numbers, the <laughs> the reduction in regulations, and then you come back on the other side and you've got the tax reform. Together, it, it makes a really rosy picture. And I'm happy to see it. I mean, who wouldn't be? Um, so now I want to pivot over to this Ohio Cafe, which I, I promised you guys we would talk about this. Continuing the church flyer discount despite threats from this atheist group. So this is a restaurant in Ohio. And they're a small cafe. The name of this, the restaurant, Starters Cafe. And they recently began offering this 10% discount to any patrons who brought in um, a, a, a church bulletin. Now, if you're like us, we we are kind of off and on. For a while, we were going out to brunch every Sunday. And then, you know, we kind of stopped recently and I've been cooking at home. I've been making pot roast and fish and you name it. I've been cooking on Sundays and it's been really great. Well, if you like going out on Sunday, going to a place which offers a discount, even 10%, it can, it can make a pretty good dent on your bill. And to have them connect it to you bringing in a church bulletin just basically says, hey, you know, we recognize that you guys are coming from church and we want you to come over here. It's not an indictment on people who aren't going to church on Sunday. You should be going to church on Sunday. If you're not going to church on Sunday, I invite you to go to church on Sunday. Please go to church on Sunday. But if you're not, it's not like it's an indictment. It's not like you're saying you're a horrible person. And it's only 10%. They also offer discounts to veterans, uh, to expectant moms. I mean, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Anyone who's not a father on Father's Day, are you going to put together a lawsuit? No. So this is ridiculous. Now, their verbiage is that the offer is valid for any and all churches, no matter the location or denomination. And the social media post was made by the owner, Justin Watson. We want you to be our, we want to be your Sunday breakfast brunch destination. So first, the complaints came in on Yelp. <sighs> Whining, complaining, babies. Asserting that the promotion was illegal, which it's not. And then the Freedom From Religious Foundation, Freedom From Religion Foundation, they're like, Nazis against people who want to just practice their faith. They told local television station KCBY that the promotion was similar to discriminatorily rewarding only white people. Now notice how whenever anything's bad, people have to try to take a page from the civil rights movement and make it the same, even if it's nothing close to being the same. Because I don't know if you noticed or not, but anyone can go to church. You don't have to be black or white or Asian or anything like that to go to church. Just go to church, you pick up a bulletin on your way out. If you didn't get one, and you take it to the restaurant with you and you get the discount. So we are shocked that there's such little understanding of the Civil Rights Act, he says, and that there could be this kind of confusion, naivete, that you can reward some customers for their religious beliefs and penalize others. Well, it's not a penalty to anyone else. It's a reward to people who bring in a church bulletin. A restaurant would not want to be discriminatory based on, oh, if you're white today, you can get 20% off. Again, spurious comparison. Watson said that restaurants offer special discounts all the time, such as for senior citizens, veterans, and he found the discrimination, discrimination accusation to be absurd. And he's right. Watson said, my busiest day of the week is Sunday. It was just an attempt to drum up some business for my new business, the cafe called Starters Cafe. What's awesome about it is that when he got the note from the Freedom From Religion Foundation, he was like, yeah, 
okay, thanks for sending me a note. I'm going to keep doing my promotion because I want to. That is the reaction you have to have when these people who want to control your every move, when they come at you, you have to say, thanks so much, but no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm not doing anything wrong. That's what we have to do. We have to be stronger about it. So now let's talk about this. I I teased this a little earlier in the show about this hundreds of New York, or they're actually not New York. They're North Carolina elementary school teachers having failed the math portion of their licensing exam. This puts their careers in jeopardy. And it started happening in 2013 when Pearson Publishing Company was hired to give the exam. Now, the State Board of Education is reporting on this, saying that failure rates for teachers on the math portion of the exam have spiked, and they're now struggling to find teachers for the youngest children. Education officials are now echoing what the teachers have been saying, that the problem lies with the exam and not the teachers. Okay. The Board of Education, which last month granted beginning teachers an extra year to pass, plans to review the Pearson's exam to see if the tests are actually measuring skills needed to teach elementary students effectively or whether they're gauging math that's generally taught in higher grades. Shouldn't all of them be able to do at least some of the higher math because they graduated from college? Like, Didn't they have to have some math in college to graduate? You're saying these people have graduated from college with a degree in teaching. They're planning on teaching elementary school, but they can't do any advanced math. And why are they just now going to review the test? They didn't review the test before they hired the new agency. So you hire a new publishing company that administers tests. You don't first review the tests that are going to be administered, have some sample tests given to experienced teachers so that the teachers can give you feedback on what's on the test and whether or not they think it's reasonable. Have that test also submitted to your local board of education so that the board members can take a look at it. And then, of course, your head of curriculum and instruction should review it and maybe the superintendent of the school district. And all of them look through it to make sure that it passes muster and then hire the company to administer the tests. I'm sorry. I just fell back into being a school board member again. But that's what they should have done. It is ridiculous that they are now talking about, well, we're, we're, we don't have enough teachers and we have a shortage and we're worried that people are going to leave the career field. You mean to tell me you graduated from college with a degree in teaching, you can't do any advanced math, and so the answer to you not being able to pass the test in this district is to leave the field of teaching? I just don't get it. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't really, yeah. So what I'm interested in at this point is, um, again, just a clarion call to parents. It's our responsibility to make sure that we're taking a very, very careful look at the school district that we put our kids in and the standards that are in place there and what the teachers are teaching our kids. And it sounds like a lot, but once you get started doing it, even if you're two parents working, to, you know, so both parents are working and, and bringing in income and everything, there's still always time to fit this into the schedule. And I encourage families that are struggling with time management or or making sure you can do everything, first things you can cut out are some of the extracurricular activities for the kids that are mandatory practices. And some some families start traveling with their kids and the kids in third or fourth grade doing soccer and all that. 
like almost less than 1% of kids who do all of that and the parents spend tens of thousands of dollars, get scholarships based on that or go on to play those sports in adulthood as professionals. So while it is important to, to take part in sports and activities and everything, just feel free to say no. Feel free to carve something out. We made some pretty tough decisions about that because we had one of our kids was very, very talented at soccer. And she was asked by one of the other parents, we want her to come try out for our, our um, it's a club team for soccer. And she said, I am certain that the coach, he, he's already told me he wants to talk to her. He would love to have her on the team. She'll make the team. And so I said, well, which team is this? Because their daughter was on two teams, one with our daughter and this other team. I said, she said, it's the club team. I'm like, okay, but what, what's that entail? So she first started talking about the money, which drew red flags for me, single income, because I was staying at home as a mom then. I wasn't bringing any money in. But it wasn't so much the money that was the, the deciding factor. It was that they spend most weekends traveling. And that it's year round. So you're playing soccer year round. And if you want to play any other sport, you have to sign an agreement that that sport will be subordinate. So the sport, sport for your kid's school is subordinate to that club sport. So I'm not condemning people who do club sports with their kids. If it works for your family, fantastic. But it wasn't a decision that we made for our kids. And our daughter is not the worst for it. She still loves to play soccer too. Just she doesn't play it as a, as a primary sport. We made that decision. I believe it was something that was a total blessing for us because we weren't traveling for one kid to go play sports and all all three kids got to play a sport of their choice because we didn't make that decision. We have to be wise about this stuff, people. And we have to check on these schools because they're not doing their jobs. All right, that's the show for today. Be back with you tomorrow on Friday. More Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.